Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. I love Thanksgiving celebration because it is on cent centered on three things I love, food, family, and friends. And uh, on this Thanksgiving Sunday, I want to share with you the most blessed, most blessed home improvement based on uh, Colossians chapter 3. And if some of you know me, I'm not qualified to give any tips about home improvement because I'm not a handy person at all. But uh, the, the home improvement that I want to share with you is a spiritual or relational home improvement. Amen? And if we reason I'm sharing this, I'm actually very grateful that in, in our fall we've been studying Paul's letter uh, to Colossian church, and today's passage is really appropriate because if we follow this home improvement instruction by Apostle Paul, we will celebrate Thanksgiving every day where we are. Amen? With that, let's read our passage today responsively. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 to 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. So I'm going to read first, and then you're going to read the following verse. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is a fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eyes on you and curry their favor, but with a sincerity of a heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Together, masters, provide your slave with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. The key word of our passage today is the Lord. The word Lord mentioned eight times in nine verses, including the master in verse 8, because the uh, uh, Greek word for master is uh, the Lord. Uh, kurios is the same. Last Sunday, Apostle Paul told us that whatever you do, in words or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And today we see Apostle Paul applying, doing all in the name of the Lord, foremost in family and church relationship. So here, in today's passage, we see three main relationships of our early Christian life at their home and their house churches. So we're going to look at them very quickly. I say quickly, meaning I have less than 25 minutes to finish because we have a you know, banquet to attend. So pay attention. You know, uh, our church people said, whenever I preach the short sermon, that's the best sermon. So I'm forced to do the best sermon. So you better pay attention, okay? First and foremost foundational relationship of every family, every church, and every community is marriage. As we saw earlier in Colossians, 
Paul's actually ethical command for sexual purity and integrity was to protect and strengthen marriage, the fundamental relationship. Now, the first command is to wife. Verse 8, wives, submit yourself to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. Submit is not a word popular today, especially to women and feminists, because so many wrong things have been done in the name of a submission. And I want you to know, in the Bible, summit is not a dirty word. It's not a dirty word that negates equality. Submission does not cancel out our equality before God. Submission, uh, although the word submission is addressed to the wives, it is not actually a female word in the Bible because it is addressed to men as well. If you look at the uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21, before Paul, Paul tells the wives to submit to their husbands, guess what he said? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Amen? And speaking of Christ, Christ did not just submit himself to God, the Father, but he willingly, fully submitted himself to Christ. So word submission is not a dirty word or sexist word. And Jesus, when he came to earth, he said, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of a father who sent me. And so, in life, everybody must submit to other people. So submit simply means to put oneself under someone's authority. So, for instance, when I invite the people to my house, I submit myself to my wife for her culinary authority. When it comes to computers and the iPhone, I submit myself to Bethel, my youngest daughter, with humility and gratitude. Once again, submission does not mean inequality or a power game. By the way, wife submitting to authority of a husband was a very commonsensical thing back then, and everybody was doing it. So why did Paul command something so expected? It's because Apostle Paul wanted the wives to submit to their husbands willingly and lovingly, not out of fear and grudgingly. This is why Paul said, as is a fitting in the Lord. He added this phrase. And Jesus Christ, our Lord, is an epitome of a full submission of love. You know, when wife lovingly submits herself to the husband, it is Christ in her that shines through. Amen? Amen? Okay. Amen. Okay. I hope there is an amen to some people here. I also wanted to add one more thing. You know, this command is addressed to wives. It is not husband's responsibility to make his wife submit. You know, a few times I heard men say, oh, this is one of my favorite verses. I just want to tell them this is not addressed to you. That's the something Paul tells your wife to do. It is the next verse that God addressed to you. So again, without a voluntary submission on her part, this command is useless. So submission, brothers, listen, cannot be demanded. Father did not demand Submission from the son. It was a voluntary submission. So wives, 
when they exhorted to make it, it should be fitting and proper, as Christ did. Now, Paul follows a command to wife with a word to husband. Verse 19, husbands, love your wife and do not be harsh with them. Here, husbands are to learn to, you know, using a Paul's language, what to put on and what, on, what to put off. So Paul tells husbands to put on love and put off harshness or love them without a harshness. That means husbands are not to be sarcastic, ridiculing, critical, and resentful toward the wives. You know, these things are especially hurtful to women. It's not the only, you know, men are hurt by words. You know, people often say, oh, women have a sharp tongue. Men also have a rough tongue. Because especially when men deals with their friends, male friends, you know, language between, I don't know about you, but uh, my, my former, my, my old friends, when we speak a language, it's, it's like a game of uh, who can be more sarcastic than, 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 than others. That is a kind of a way that guys bond. So we used to be very caustic or sarcastic. You do that to your wife? Let me see how, how well your dinner go. Christian husbands, we don't act that way. And if a husband says something sharp to his wife, it is very difficult for her to give the support that Lord commanded her. You know, I once heard a, uh, once I heard a man who said to his wife, you know, you are nothing but a rag, bone, and hank of a hair. And the wife's response was, well, you are nothing but a brick and groan and tank of air. You know? So she was cut by his word and responded in kind. So husband, remember, Bible calls us not to just love our wives, but love them gently. Love them gently. All right. I'm going to go fast to the second crucial relationship, which is children and parents. And here we see the biblical church is both children and the adults are present. Parents and the children, they act, interacted actively. And I said this many times, but one more time, the biblical church makes a family holy and church informal, like a family. You know, many typical you know, churches, there are some kind of segregation between family and the church. So when people come to the church, they act very holy. But when they go home, they just act whatever, very unholy or whatever in, in the name of a privacy. I think a home should be holy and the church should be more informally like a family. That's why we don't dress, I don't even dress a suit in the church, you know. And this is why we do the house church ministry, bringing a church and family together. So Paul said, verse 20, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. The word obey in Greek comes from the word hupo akuo. Hupo akuo is a compound word, is a hypo or hupo and akuo. Hupo, uh, hypo it means under. Aqua is here. You know, acoustic, in, you know, English word acoustic came out, came out of this aqua. So, obey means hear under someone. 
So children are exhorted to listen to their parents and recognizing that they are over them and they have authority in their life. Again, the theme of uh, authority is a present. Parents should point it out to their children that parents' authority is not, is a more than, is a more than biological or chronological or even procreational. I mean that many parents say, fathers said, I gave you life as long as you live under my roof and I give you food and clothing, you do what I say. That's not what you know, Paul is talking about. Parental authority ultimately comes from God because God is the one who created everyone and everything and all authority belongs to God. And God simply delegated his authority to us to take care of our children. And Paul added a special reason for children's obedience to parents today's passage. That is, such obedience. Children's obedience to parents pleases the Lord. Pleases the Lord. Why is obedience to parents pleasing God? Pleasing to God? Listen to me. Because a good life depends on trusting the right and good authority and following is the wisdom and the truth. You know, when children do not learn to trust the good authority, guess what? They follow something wrong, something else. They will follow folly of the world and the foolishness of their friends rather than God's truth and wisdom. This is why a lot of young people today who are fascinated with uh, social media and influenced by social media, they have all kinds of mental health and issues. Why? They forgot. They are not following the real authority and wisdom. God is pleased when children obey their parents because most parents, I say most parents, not all parents, unfortunately, they have good wills and mature wisdom for their children. In contrast, the disobedient, disrespectable, rebellious children, they displease God. You know, most of us are uh, grown-up children, so, you know, uh, you know this, the obeying is, uh, now is a little different. And then some of us have, especially I want to talk to some of us, have unbelieving parents. What do you do with the unbelieving parents? I still believe the Bible tells us we should obey our non-Christian parents as long as they are not telling us to go against God's will or God's word. In fact, as a children of God now, we should obey our earthly parents, even non-believing parents, with a deeper appreciation than before. And when unbelieving parents see their children love them more because of a Christ in their heart, guess what? That's how they see God. That's how they see God. So don't ever preach to your unbelieving parents, okay? They need to see Christ through your love and obedience. You know, before my father became a Christian, he was amazed, the change of my elder brother. So my father, you know, didn't have any religious reference. My brother, my older brother and my father, they, 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 they had actually broken relationship. But my brother, after he received Christ, his heart was filled with joy, more than healing. So he'd been so gracious with my father, 
and my father told his wife, my mother, that my brother looks like Buddha. I mean, he doesn't know anything about religion, so he said, you know, he looks like a Buddha. He became like a Buddha, well, you know. And then, you know, and then years later, that's how my father became a Christian on, you know, before he passed away. So, love your parents more and let them see Christ through your love. Now, fathers, command to fathers this. Do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. The word for embitter means to provoke, irritate, exasperate. That does not mean parents are, not never to, are never to say, do anything that makes their children feel irritated. You know, because the discipline often makes children irritated. So, the important thing about this command is not so much about the, not to irritate them, but actually the tense of a verb. The tense of a verb is a present continuous tense. So, what Paul is actually saying is this. Fathers, do not keep on irritating your children. Do not keep hammering away at it. Do not keep nagging at them, or they will become discouraged. This is an important lesson for fathers, because children are immature and or slowly growing, and they make a mistake, right? Oftentimes, same mistakes on over and over again, and parents overreact, you know? And someone said, getting angry at yelling at kids for making mistakes doesn't teach them not to make mistakes, but actually teach them to hide their mistakes. And a parent said this, when my child has made a poor decision that has led him to painful lesson, the last thing they need is a sigh, is a sigh of a belittlement and the condescension from me. Now, I want to share with you the three irritations that fathers make to their children that I've seen in my life. And that the three irritations are called ignorance, indulgence, and insult. Okay, so I'm going to go fast. First, to ignore them. Father who has no time for their child soon create in him a deep-seated resentment. The child may not know how to articulate or explain the problem, uh, he or she will feel unimportant and uh, worthless. The second source of irritation, which is indulgence, is a sort of opposite of uh, you know, uh, ignorance or ignoring. You know, when we uh, indulge our children and give them everything they want, guess what? Soon, that will make them actually restless and dissatisfied and even ungrateful. And I think this problem of indulgence is a serious, common occurrence among second, third generation immigrants because they have this kind of mentality. Since my father, my parents didn't give you everything that I wanted, I'm going to give you everything you wanted, so I will be at least a better parent than my parents. I've seen a lot of second, third generation did that. And guess what? That doesn't really make your children better. You know why? Children, what they really long for is a guidance and direction 
They look for meaningful intimacy, not a superficial you know, indulgency. I've seen enough spoiled, unspoiled, really spoiled, and the ungrateful children of a third, second or third or whatever generation of immigrants. It's amazing. Parents did for everything for them, yet they are not grateful. No? It's so sad. And uh, some of these children that I actually, the parents, you know, ask me, I find, talked, some of them, it has an incredible sense of resentment. So one thing I learned, parents, you don't, you give everything except the God's love and wisdom to your children, you will, that will be very resentful to you at the end. So watch out. Just the giving everything they want doesn't make them better. And finally, it's insulting them. By that I mean calling them a name, putting them down. It's another source of resentment in children. They will become a discouraged and even put off, you know, things of God. So parents, select your word carefully when you speak about your children. Because our word can create unnecessary, unhealthy, even harmful image in their soul. Now, final and the lengthy section begins in verse 22, which is Paul's address to slave and masters. And for the record, you must remember this, Paul's words to slave and masters are unique in ancient Greco-Roman world. No Greek philosophers and the Roman thinkers gave it this kind of long, positive, substantial, personal exhortation, especially to slaves. You know what Aristotle said about slaves? Only difference between slaves and the animals is that slaves can talk. That means they are speaking animals. That's how they, you know, we're talking about Aristotle, the philosopher of a philosopher. So let's look at the uh, slaves, or Paul's command to slave. This is the longest statement, longest command. Slave, obey your earthly parents in everything, and do it not only when their eyes is on you to curry their favor, but with the sincerity of a heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. You know, at that time, half about half of a Roman population was a slave. So historians say that the Roman economy was a slave-based, and many families owned several slaves. So oftentimes people ask, why does the scripture directly address the problem of slavery? You know, why were not Christian masters instructed to free their slaves? Short answer is this. Conditions were not all right for them. You know, freeing slaves is not that simple as you think. You know, actually in Roman history, several, several attempts to uh, uh, revolt among the, foment a revolt among the slaves, such as the famous revolt of Spartacus. And what happened? It met fierce, you know, uh, 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 repression, and then worsened the condition of uh, many slaves. And uh, 
Let me illustrate the reality of a slave slavery in our times. You think we don't have a slavery? Let me explain. Do you know why there are more than 7 million Venezuelans left their country and became a migrant and the illegals undocumented all over the American continent? By the way, more than, you know, it's a more than seven, that number is about one out of four Venezuelans left their countries. One out of four left their countries. Can you imagine? One out of four left their countries. Because right now in Venezuela, minimum wage is less than three, four dollars, not an hour, not in a day, a month. If you work, work at the office workers, average salary is less than $30 a month. This is economic slavery, economic slavery. And this, we have to recognize that slavery has been existing not just a Greco-Roman time, throughout the human history, even today. The people who are working as slave labor, getting paid a cents, a, you know, hour or, you know. And then on that note, last thing I want you to remember about slavery, that a tragedy of American slavery, I'm talking about slavery in America, is not economically driven, but racially driven. You know, other countries, when poor people get some money, they can get out of slavery, whatever. That's the stigma. America, sad thing about slavery is racially driven. So even though slavery was abolished 150 years ago, the racism still persists and creates the havoc in our country. We have a long way to heal this racism. Now, Paul told the Christian slave today, not just to obey, but what? Obey with a spiritual focus. For that, he used a special word. He said the verse 22 that the, oh, what is that? I forgot the verse, uh, what is that? Verse 22, yeah. That don't obey your master when their eyes on you. You know, their eyes on you is actually one word in Greek called uh, ophthalmodulia. Ophthalmodulia. It is a compound word. You know, ophthalmo, I'm sorry, ophthalmo means uh, the eye. You know, ophthalmologists came out of that word. And it's not modulia, it's a dulia, I'm sorry, I misspelled it. It's a service, it's dulia. So uh, literally, it's an eye service. So if you translate that passage, verse 22, directly from Greek text, it said this, Slave, obey earthly masters in all things, not with the eye services as a man pleasures, but in sincerity of a heart fearing the Lord. Now, none of us is a slave, right? Although we often complain about our low salaries, but we are not exploited like ancient or even modern slaves. I want to make today an important biblical point about labor, and especially our work ethics. That is, work. Work itself is a part of God's blessing in paradise, or Garden of Eden, according to Genesis. Labor is a blessing from the beginning. Do you remember God commanded Adam and Eve to do what? Take care of animals in the Garden of Eden, right? They are zookeepers. And then they disobey, and that's how labor became a curse and hard 
because of the sin. So work is an essential and integral part of God's creation. You know, God created the world to be good, but at the same time, that good includes needs to be nourished and cultivated and then, you know, and then developed by our works. So Tim Keller, Pastor Tim Keller, made a this, you know, good statement in his book, Every Good Endeavor, in this way. The current economic era has given us a fresh impulses and new ways to stigmatize a work, such as a farming, caring for children's job that are supposedly not knowledge job and therefore do not pay very well. But in Genesis, we see God as a gardener in the New Testament. We see him, that means Jesus, son of God, as a carpenter. All this means what? No task is too small a vessel to hold immense dignity of work given by God. He's absolutely right. Every work is dignified. So don't look at every work with the eyes of a capitalist. Don't judge, you know, work based on salaries. Every work is a reflection of a God-given talent and ability for us to work in God's good creation. So I really pray that everyone in forest find not just a well-paying career, but much more deeply satisfying vocation. Deeply satisfying vocation to glorify God by serving others joyfully. And today, Apostle Paul told the Christian slave that their work is ultimately for God's glory not their own survival. So look at verse 23. He said, whatever you do, that means anything can glorify God. Your job, any job can glorify God, except the criminal job, obviously. So, you know. Work at it with all your heart and work as a working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Paul said incredibly, today to the uh, Christian slave that you have to work, you have to obey your masters, not with eye service, but as if you're serving Jesus Christ. And then you will have his reward. So Paul said you will have a reward from God the heavens. You know, not just a Bible. You will, have, you, will be, you will receive God's blessing. So what is God's reward? If you look at the Matthew 25, verse 21, this is what God, Jesus told us. In the parable, uh, uh, what is that? Parable of, uh, parable of Matthew 25, talent. Okay. His master replied, that, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Do you know what is a biblical you know, a reward in, in the Bible? More work. Yep. When you do good work, God will bless you with a more bigger work. That's what the Bible says. Isn't that what it says? Amen? Some of you say, ah, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for retirement. Let me tell you. 
what we really want is not just an you know, absence of the work. We want abundance of a meaningful life. The work that you and I enjoy so much, work that you do, and you're so grateful that you pay for it because you would do it without even getting paid. That's the you know, blessing, right? Right now, greatest athletic event is happening in our world. World Cup soccer game is happening. Many of you don't know, okay? You're American. You know, and you, many of you pointed out, oh, Pastor Paul, you're the, the well, Michigan you know, Blues. You know, my future son-in-law is a Michigan Blue. He's so happy yesterday because they beat Ohio State first time in 22 whatever years. And, you know, I was tempted to say, that, oh, would you like to rededicate your life to Christ right now with that joy? Almost. But right now, whole world is paying attention to Qatar, the World Cup soccer. And guess what every single soccer player trying to do? Their goal right now is playing one more game than others. And that one more game is a final game. They don't want to go home early. They don't want to retire right now. They want to play more longer than others. That is a God's reward. You know, I believe when you get to heaven or when heaven comes to earth according to the Bible, People, some people have a pejorative view of heaven. Heaven is like a praising forever. And some people say, oh, that's so boring. I cannot even praise him for 15 minutes. How in the world I can praise for all day? I don't think it's like that. In presence of God, when we are perfecting God's creation with Christ our King, we will, have, we will enjoy work. Work, is, work will be our joy. Labor will be truly love. Labor of love will, be the, will define our life in paradise. Let me go quickly to the final command to the masters. Masters, provide your slave with what is right and fair because you know you also have a master in heaven. Real answer to uh, a slavery is not a change of a system. Even though systematic change is necessary at times, but the real key all the time, regardless of a system, is a people. Running. If you change individuals in whatever systems, we can make it better. Amen? If our employers are fair and generous and kind, seriously, slavery is no problem. Actually, Apostle Paul, he said he would be bond slave of Christ. You know what bond slave? Bond slave is the one who could go free. Master said you can go free. You paid all the debt. I, I release you. And then bond slave said, you are so good, I'd rather serve you than have my freedom. I love you more than my freedom. Living with you is better than living by myself out there. That is a bond slave. So real problem, I mean real solution to the problem of slavery is what? Masters. And then do you know in this book, in Colossians, actually there is a good, generous, fair, kind, Christian master, guy named Philemon. And Paul sent another letter along with the Colossians to Colossae, especially Philemon. Why? He had a runaway slave named Onesimus. And Paul met Onesimus in his prison in Rome. And there through Paul, Onesimus found Christ. And then Paul was sending back Onesimus 
to with the Tychicus back to his home, hometown. And then he wrote this letter, and the letter to Philemon, Paul said, receive Onesimus back no longer as a slave, but better than slave as a dear brother. He's a very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man, as a brother in the Lord. Paul said, don't treat Onesimus like other masters treat a runaway slave. Many were killed or tortured or maimed. But Paul said, receive him as a brother in Christ. You know, this is what a lot of uh, historians says. Early Christianity is a sociological miracle because both masters and slaves worship God together. You know, every week they share their meals together. Early Christianity is a sociological miracle. And according to Rodney Stock, sociologist, well-known sociologist who wrote a book, Rise of Christianity, with a very sociological point of view, you know, he said the Greco-Roman you know, religion was a very ritualistic religion. They had just a few festivals of their deities, and that's when only they come to the temple, and that's their religion. Whereas Christianity's focus was daily relationship with one another at the house church. And he said this, this daily real relationship at the house church created intense community, which in time of major epidemics and crisis provided a safer social network than any pagan religion and any pagan families, the members of a church and their friends, they benefited and continued to join together. It is my prayer that God's home improvement, spiritual home improvement at Forest will continue and that we will really love each other and help each other, not only good times, but also in difficult times. Amen. And that those of you, I don't know, if you don't know Christ, if a Christ comes to your heart, as many of, I mean, three of people today share the, you know, their baptismal testimony, Christ will bring stability and center and meaning to your life. Your life will be anchored in joy and gratitude and, and, and meaning. Let's pray together.